Hey, Power Athlete Nation. I want to introduce you to our good friends at Thorn Nutrition. Thorn makes the best supplements I've taken, and I'm just not saying that for any other reason other than it's being the truth. Um, I got into the supplement game a long time ago through, you know, if you guys listen to the podcast, George Zangus, Marathon Nutrition, and, uh, you know, creatine and protein and some other things. And uh, supplements have always been important through all the blood testing and uh, trying to optimize micronutrients in the system through blood work. And every time I would go work with uh, Cosenta and Tom Incladon, whenever he would say, hey, these are the supplements I want you to take. This is where you're deficient. Thorn was always the default. And this is long before we ever met them mm-hmm. and had the opportunity to connect with them through Sornex and ha- and then reach out to them and make them a you know sponsor of the, of the collective and the symposiums and just really just create a, a really excellent relationship. And the reason being is we take the supplements daily. Uh, my wife takes them, my kids take them, and I am by far uh, one of Thorne's biggest fanboys. Uh-huh. Gut kits as well. So get some feedback on our gut health, which has well, been pretty interesting. Yeah, especially when you have vitamin A toxicity. Well, there's one way to find out. It's poop in a cup. Uh, yeah, well, you know, funny story. Uh, Tex <laughs> listened to... Uh, I think it was Rhonda Patrick who talked about eating liver, which is, you know, uh, a good idea. Tex took it a little far, started consuming two to four ounces of liver daily. And then we, through Thorne, ended up getting some gut work done and pretty figured out that uh, he was just bypassing his entire crib cycle. And even though he was eating carbohydrates, was totally ketogenic and was dealing with vitamin That's A toxicity. Quick way to lose LDs. <laughs> well. So it's important that when somebody does some supplement recommendations or what, that it has to be very clearly out. These are the amounts you take. But, uh, you know, all kidding aside and all jokes, um, Thorne has been a cornerstone of not only my nutrition and my supplement routine for a lot of years. Uh, after, you know, working, like I said, working with Dr. Ankladon and taking other brands and then going back and getting tested and not seeing noticeable changes. Uh, the one thing that's really nice about Thorne is, you get what's in the package. It's the highest level tested. And I think if you're going to spend money on supplements, uh, Thorne's the only way to go. So if you're interested to see what I take, you can go to thorn.com slash you slash power athlete. It's thorn.com slash you slash power athlete. We'll have those in the show notes. And you also get 20% off. So you'll see the supplement stack, the stuff I recommend and the stuff that I'm taking. And uh, if you want to if you want to buy in, you'll get a 20% discount. On anything. On anything. Not just the stuff in our in our cart. But if you're interested in what we're taking, you can check it out at thorn.com slash you slash power athlete. And um, if you want to enjoy the episode. Yeah. Now tune in to Power Athlete Radio <laughs> and the magical... Uh, angelic voices of Mr. McQuilkin and myself. So, bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Are you exhausted? Do you feel like a shell of your former self? And perhaps you need the most potent supplement of all. I'm talking about sleep. This innovative performance enhancer has been getting a lot of attention lately, and for good reason. With folks like Joshua Collin and Dr. Dan Taylor of BioLoop Sleep, you can optimize the use of your wearable to create an effective sleep plan. That's right, the cat nap is back. Here it is, episode 556. Rockets number one pick. What he did is the G League option. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, you're skipping your one year. Yeah. I think it's 150,000. Is up there. Yeah. So then he was ended up then entering the draft and get second overall. Hmm. 
So he got his year, got his money, and now he's in the NBA. Oh, good for him. I think I think three. That's actually a good point. I think three of the top four guys uh, for the G League, G League Ignite team, which I believe is a team specifically for for those guys. Three of the four were drafted, and they were drafted fairly high. So, so as a as an experiment, so to speak, that worked. So again, that's this other these new avenues for for you know how how do you go from being an elite high school prep kid to NBA? And they used to just be one. Now there's overseas. There's you know the G League thing. So yeah, I don't know. It's going to be it's it's definitely has changed changed the conversation. So we'll see. What I'm amazed by is just the length of time in which these kids are able to play. I mean, they come in 18, 19 years old, never really having trained, just uh, developed their basketball skills. And now all of a sudden you put them into a situation, give them millions of dollars, put them in a professional organization, put them in a, uh, you know, standardized strength conditioning template. And uh, it's pretty amazing just seeing the longevity. I mean, you know, before it was if a guy played seven, eight, nine, 10 years, it was considered, you know, a phenomenal career in professional sports. And now you got Tom Brady, who's, you know, going to play till he's 50 probably. When you got yeah. LeBron and these guys, I mean, yeah. you know, like the Kobe Bryant coming right out of high school. So yeah. it's, it, it, it's pretty amazing. I'm interested to see, you know, I, um, I played in the NFL and it was, people always ask me, they're like, Oh, you know, why is the average only three years? And, uh, I always tell them the same thing. If you can play, you can play from day one and you'll be able to play for a long time. Like the, like the, the division on whether or not you could play happens so quickly. Like you see a young guy come in and you would know instantly, yeah, that kid can play. This kid can't. And they just yeah. basically just divide people really quickly. So that yeah. three years is super uh, um, just not very accurate because if a guy can play, he can play for a long time. If he can't, he's out of there within a day. Was it because football is so physically more demanding than basketball? No, I, I think what's so amazing about basketball is uh, the amount of skill that these kids have to develop and that they develop at such a young age. Like, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it's like you see these 15, 16 year old kids and like they're in high school and then all of a sudden you'll see them play in these like uh, pickup games or prep games with other pros and they're like holding their own. It just, it, it's always pretty fascinating. I mean, you can tell how young they are cause they're super skinny. <laughs> and then like, you know, all of a sudden like, you know, four or five years later after they put on 20 pounds and started to mature and now they have a beard and you know, it's just, it's, uh, it's, it's almost like the skill acquisition happens at such a young age and then they just need yeah. time for the maturity to catch up. I think, uh, yes, yeah, I think the two points to that is I think the skill acquisition as a training process is starting younger, particularly in basketball, because back back in the day, to use a, uh, a horrible term, you just played, played outside, played pickup in the summertime, went to the gym and played, went to practice. But I think there's more this this generation through, and Tom Brady and LeBron, I think, are a little bit of an outliers in their generation. But just in general, I think this this generation coming through, there is a focus on the skill development that wasn't there 10, 15 years ago. So they're hiring private skills trainers, which is a whole other conversation, but they're hiring private skill trainers and there's a premium put on skill development. And then the other thing to your point too, um, with the durability is, particularly in basketball, because I found um, the, again, as, as a sport, the culture of training and training intelligently just isn't long in basketball, like in football for good or for bad, cause there's obviously some bad stuff. And, you know, I'm sure you could speak on that more than me. You know, that's sort of been a connection to the sport, lifting weights, playing football, lifting weights, wrestling, the certain sports that has always had this, this connection with it. And I think with sports like tennis, basketball, golf, 
Um, there just wasn't, there's no real training history. But then you, 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 you know, you go back this generation and a, a little bit before and, and you start to see it more and more. So I think to your, to your kind of point is you've got more of a premium and a one on the skill training. And you also, in the sport of basketball particularly, uh, and it's driven by social media in, in, a, in a good sense of LeBron James is putting a lot of money into recovery and, and, and management. He's putting a lot of time into physical development. And you can argue and agree and disagree with um, what they're doing and how they're doing it. And that's a, another discussion. But just the fact that it's present and it's a social media thing trickling down into how this generation receives information. And then they want to think about recovery and they want to lift weights. And so when I first started doing this, uh, well, when I was in college, it was kind of late 90s, early 2000s. And there was lift, we, lifted, we lifted weights, but it was just, just because we, we were supposed to. But then you move into sort of like early, mid-2000s, and it started to be more of a thing. Then when I started working uh, professionally um, as a strength coach in college in like 07, it had really started to take hold. And then you go from there to now, and, and it's just a present thing in basketball. So I think, I think the durability piece is coming from um, the type of training done. Uh, and then I think that the skills, skill acquisition is coming from um, just more of a highlight on that. Uh, and now, now there is also the counter argument that there's a specialization that's happening with these guys and girls too young. And what does that mean? And the certain injury patterns and so on and, and things that you guys have probably discussed in the past sure. where they didn't swim, play tennis, you know, run, climb trees and things that we all did, play football, throw baseballs around and play basketball. They just play basketball. And so I think that that is the rub of the whole thing is that the more skillful, the capacity for more durability, but the early specialization is, is a tricky piece to it, you know. Hey, Power Athlete Nation. If you enjoyed this podcast and you're interested in supporting Power Athlete and getting involved with Power Athlete, myself and the crew here in Austin and in the global network, you can do it a few different ways. You can link on shop.powerathletehq.com. You can buy merch, you know, be the hammer, uh, move the dirt, all the really amazing merchandise that we put together. And we're going to have a bunch of cool stuff coming up here at the end of the year for Black Friday. Uh, that's going to blow your mind. We also have the best training programs in the game. I think the most efficient, most powerful, uh, well thought out, elegant programs that you will find. We're easy to get a hold of. Just go to powerathletehq.com, look for training. It's going to take you over to our best in class partner, Train Heroic, where you can look at Jack Street. If you're just trying to put on thick gobs of muscle and you want to get jacked as fuck, Jack Street's your program. We got Field Strong, Train Like an Athlete, allow us to foster and develop athleticism. That's really our flagship program for trying to make athletes more athletic. We got Bedrock, that beginner program. We got Grindstone for those of you guys that are in the fight, need a flexible program that lives with you. If you're still into getting your face melted by the dirtiest, nastiest, saltiest wads on the planet, check out Johnny Wad. If you're looking for a little bodybuilding, check out Johnny Bod. And if you're looking for a program, if you're in a situation where you go in harm's way, you're looking to kick in doors and take names and break hearts and all that good stuff, check us out at Hammer, the holistic athlete movement readiness program that was developed uh, with some of the baddest dudes on the planet. So you can check us out in the programs. If you are interested in getting involved in the Block One Network with Power Athlete, you can first check out academy.powerathletehq.com. You can check out our methodology. And if you want to go that Block One track, travel out here to Austin and prove that you are composed of the metal that we're looking for to be in our Block One Network. So we're easy to get a hold of. You can support us in any way. So if you uh, 
are enjoying this podcast and really like this content, find a way to get involved. Giving you a couple different options. We're looking forward to seeing you. Thanks. I really, and and he's a hell of a player, but like the Steph Curry effect, where all of a sudden now, like, I mean, I saw such a change in basketball where it was like big man down low, you know, power forward. Now all of a sudden you have a guy like Steph Curry comes down and is draining these threes from half court. I mean, to the point where like his team just kind of jogs down, they get into position, he shoots it. And even as soon as the ball leaves his hand, they just start running back. And it's, it's kind of like, I mean, it's, it's such an amazing threat for a team, but it really just, you know, like it really kind of almost destroyed a little bit of the basketball I enjoyed where I enjoyed seeing the guy post up and, you know, the plays and the move and like, you know, big men banging down low and just like that type of piece. Um, But I mean, it's such a, it's such a viable weapon that you see guys see that success and they're like, well, shit, I don't have to go down and bang. Well, I can just drain these threes from, you know, six foot from the three, uh, three point line. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there's definitely a lot to that. I think obviously the strategy piece is part of it. And that is an, uh, sort of an evolving strategy and a um, sort of this time and place, like the, t- the, the, the taste that people want right now is these high scoring games and, you know, these insane sort of video game like scores and these things that happen. But in the same sense, if you look at like 80s NBA basketball, it was murderable. I mean, there was no, there's nothing you did was a foul, you know, and then you look at 90s and they cleaned that up a little bit, but it was, to your point, it was more physical and, and big guys played more true big guy roles. And so I think that that evolution um, also probably leads towards some of the durability as well, because the physicality, I mean, it's still a really physical game. I mean, if you sit courtside of an NBA game, they're not just sort of like drifting past each other. I mean, you know, dudes are getting hit and, and these are large, these are large human beings. Um, but I think the constant, <clears throat> excuse me, impacts and the constant grind of it that was sort of um, a, uh, a big piece of 80s and 90s is, is gone. <clears throat> but, you know, things, things, you know, things always shift around, you know, and I think the rules change a little bit as well in terms of hand checking and how much contact you can have. Um, I don't know football that well, but I know how you, you um, deal with a quarterback has changed in the Tom Brady era as well. And so there's a good chance other than just the style of quarterback he is, but how he's defended and how he's, you know, pressured has probably helped him a little bit with that stuff too. So. Oh yeah. No, the rule change, uh, the rule changes. I mean, he even came out and said it. He's like, you know, uh, um, the rule changes have allowed me to play into two decades because if the rules hadn't changed 10 years was considered a good career, but you know, he's like the rule change is just almost kind of neutered the game in so many ways. It's not the same game it used to be. And, um, you know, and the reason being is these these uh, teams and owners are paying these, you know, high priced quarterbacks, millions, you know, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. And the last thing they want to do is see some, you know, 350 pound defense alignment that's making the fucking league minimum come in and roll on his leg. I yeah. mean, and now all of a sudden they're, you know, franchise half a billion dollar quarterbacks hurt. So, I mean, they've exactly. really, you know, structured the game in such a way that the people that are making the lion's share are not really in harm's way. Yeah, yeah, no, and I mean that's that's a tough one for you know all all stakeholders in that you know what you want to see, what you're trying to protect, what you're trying to you know produce as a product on the field. I do think though, I don't know if you know going back to basketball for a second though, I don't know if you'll ever go back to the the extreme physicality of like the '80s and stuff like that <clears throat> because um, you know I don't think people people sort of reminisce on it, but I don't think they really want to watch that. 
but I do think it will it'll kind of swing back a little bit. Like whenever this era comes to an end, there'll be a, another Steph Curry, or there'll be another Jordan, or another Shaq, or or someone who's this um, iconic individual, but also an iconic game shifting skill set, whatever that might be. And I couldn't even tell you. And maybe it's not a player, maybe it's a coach. Maybe it's a coach. Do your your thing about strategy that for a minute with this reball who finds another way to uh enhance this stuff and and then the, the the counter reaction will be towards that and that's just the evolution of sports and that's what kind of keeps it going and that's you know what it keeps people's arguments about you know this generation versus my generation and it it, it, it keeps the lifeblood of it all going so i would expect there'll be a there'll be a some kind of change it's i don't know when or with who because because again i mean if you if you if you were to go back to draft night you know Steph Curry's draft night and say this kid from Davidson is going to change the game of basketball for the next 15 years the, you, even in his first couple of years because I mean he could shoot it and was skillful. he was uh had a, a handful of ankle injuries that, that stopped his him like really playing a lot so there's just no way you would have said that now a player like Shaq maybe you know, Jordan coming out of college, maybe not so much, but first or second year, you would have said, you know, the way that they're going to play is going to be different. But anyway, the, the point being is I don't think you can kind of earmark it, you know, or a young coach coming up who just has a money ball version of Wapperton baseball for, um, you know, schematics and they'll change it. So I, I would assume it'll change again. And, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, well, Rockets failed the small ball experiment. 6'6 <laughs> six, six center. <laughs> Unfortunately, well, let's let's take a moment to to introduce our guests. We have two de- gentlemen, Dr. Dan Taylor and Josh Collin. How we doing, jo- uh, Dan? We heard from you, so give us a quick intro and hand off to Josh, and then we'll explore sleep, recovery, performance, and all the good things we have today. Yeah, yeah, sure. My name is uh, Dan Taylor, Dr. Dan Taylor. Uh, I am the uh, director of applied sports science with the Charlotte Hornets. Um, and I've been here really just at the beginning of the season. Prior to that, I've worked in college basketball for, you know, 17, 18 years at this point. So I have a lot of experience on the performance side uh, of basketball in general. Uh, and then this gentleman who's next to me in the picture is my good friend and colleague, Josh Ballant. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Um, great to be here. Really excited. And yeah, I'm the co-founder of um, Crescent Health. Um, Crescent Health, we offer personal training for sleep using your wearable data. So really taking this approach of pairing people with, you know, world-class expert coaches and using data from devices like Aura, Whoop, um, Fitbit to really provide personalized insights, accountability and programs for them to improve their sleep. I've been working on it for probably the past like year, year and a half now. Um, prior to that, um, I worked at uh, Goldman Sachs for all the six weeks before jumping to do it during the pandemic. And before that, uh, went to Swarthmore College, you know, where I studied economics and psychology. Um, so yeah, definitely a lot of bouncing around the, the past year, but I'm excited uh, by what we're building. So yeah. Awesome. And our nice. friends at Train Heroic have ah, connected us. Uh, nice. pre- we've, we've deep dove into sleep before, Dr. Sherry Ma, Dr. Kirsch Parsley. So we're now, this is our opportunity to really connect it rather than looking at the sleep connected to performance. And Dan, you have an amazing opportunity to change some young men's lives and get them to look at, hey, stop playing video games. What do you mean? Sleep, you numbskulls. I'll, I'll get plenty of sleep when I'm dead. Like, that's the, like that old that's the John Wellborn football mentality. Yeah, man. This uh, is basketball. That man. was me They're in my sensitive. 20s. That, that was me in my 20s as an NFL player. I'll sleep when I'm dead. And then I got to my 30s and realized this was a terrible idea. 
Yeah. Feel dead. Yeah. And it's it's a funny it's a funny thing too because the the you know working with sleep and obviously working with with Josh and Preston Health and just sort of being in and around the, the environments I have it's a funny thing because exactly what you said is that in your your teens and 20s you, there's a level of invincibility you feel anyway period across the board and then sleep is just sort of this thing that you think about after the fact and then you hit your 30s and 40s and it's the, the one you know friday night going to bed at nine o'clock is like a it's like a pleasurable thing yeah. when you know 10, 15 years ago it was like what the hell am i doing yeah. but um the, the one thing i found that is interesting is that everybody whether you're a teenager a 20 year old 30 year old and upwards knows that you feel crap when you sleep poorly it's not like it's something that you can question it's to the point of um you know how you were saying about the, the former kind of discussions were more about sleep science and specifics is it's connecting the two it's connecting it into the applied space and understanding that yeah you feel crap well what does it actually mean for what you're doing in terms of performance and what does that mean maybe not tonight's performance but tonight tomorrow night training the next day um, you know, and that, that goes from everybody, not just athletes, that goes from, from you know, people who, who stayed at Goldman Sachs and didn't leave, and it, the people who are, um, you know, doing the, the honor of being a stay-at-home parent. I mean, you're not at your best when you're exhausted. Now, obviously, if they're babies, it's a little bit different, but it's a funny thing because it's inherently something we all know in terms of not feeling good when you sleep poorly or sleep less, but it's the what do you do about it and what does it actually mean, what happens in your quote unquote performance when you do. And connecting those, I think is an interesting uh, challenge and I think it's different for different people and it's different for different environments. And I do think that is a challenge. Yeah, no, I know for me, uh, I had an interesting sleep study in that um, I didn't sleep a ton in my twenties and then I got married and we had twins. And I don't think I slept more than 40 minutes like at any one point for probably the first like three to six months. And uh, I really started to understand what true sleep deprivation was. Uh, like I got like uh, gray hair. I mean, like it was like I went in the gym and it was like nothing worked. It was uh, it was interesting. And now I know that's why I always tell people, I'm like, oh, if you're going to have kids, make sure you have them as young as possible when you don't have to necessarily yeah. sleep because you hit your 30s and you're like, man, I haven't slept for a couple of days. I'm like deliriously driving around thinking like, is this a good idea? I feel I feel drunk. And we had Parsley on the podcast. He was like, legitimately. If you don't get your sleep, like you could be, you know, within a, uh, you know, a yeah. DUI standpoint. Being awake 18 hours equals drinking three beers. So yeah. I stay up yeah. for 18 hours <laughs> and then drink three beers and I'm good. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. I have twins too. So I, I mean, th th those of us in the twin groups know. I mean, being oh, oh, you got twins too? Oh, okay. Yeah, then yeah, you know. Yeah, they, they yeah, it's, uh, and so, uh, you know, I thank God for my wife, who's just unbelievable because doing this profession and, uh, well, having twins is tough, but yeah, I mean, and, and that is, that is it. That is the, the whole idea of, of being able to perform at your best. And, and again, whatever your performance is and, and, you know, to the point of, of, of people who are listening, who, who just love training and maybe that's their specific thing is that, you know, if you want to get the best out of the weight room or whatever your training session is, um, it doesn't have to be an NBA game or, or an NCAA, you know, college game at Duke. It could literally be the specific thing you're doing today. And, um, and I think uh, we were erring on the side of it before where, you know, the sleep when I'm dead thing is funny to discuss, but there, there is an unfortunate edge of in sort of grind, grinding through it. And I, I'm not against the concept of that because I think if you're successful in most things, you've worked hard to it. Um, but I don't think you have to destroy yourself by 
just not sleeping. You know, I mean, I know a lot of people like Gary Vaynerchuk, somebody who, when he first started talking about, you know, rearranging your schedule to have your side hustle, which would then become your thing. And, and there was a bit of a pushback about what about sleep? What about sleep? And so he had to counter respond to it and say, no, sleep is important too. Because I just think that, you know, while grinding, I think pays dividends in your life, you shouldn't do it and put this badge of honor and this like stamp of approval, like bang my chest and I sleep three hours a night. Well, that's great, but you know, how are you gonna feel when you're 50, 60, 70? And likely you probably won't succeed long-term. And if you do somehow, it won't be sustained because something has to give. It's just a, a biological necessity, so. Is, uh, uh, is the NBA that way with the coaches? Because in the NFL, there's this weird badge of courage of like the coaches sleep at the office three nights a week and, you know, they're up at four in the morning, three in the morning, two in the morning, you know, watching film. And there was like, you know, when I played for Andy Reid, um, his whole coaching staff, like there was this like constant thing about like how many hours they were putting in. And, yeah. you know, I only slept three hours last night. And I'm like, dude, first of all, the quality of your work is so fucking low. <laughs> After 20 hours of you like in there with your eyes closed, you know, force feeding yourself with goldfish, you know, yeah. uh, like they used to sit like and just snacks everywhere. And I'm like, yeah, you guys are legitimately tired. So you're, you're functioning about 25 capacity, uh, 25%, and then you're just shoveling food in your mouth, you know, yeah. and I, it just always seemed really stupid to me, but there was always this constant badge of courage or badge of honor, you know, oh, I uh, only slept three hours last night. I'm like, I think you're a you know, I mean, believe me, if I'm sleeping three hours, it's not because uh, I want to be watching film. It's because I want to be out having a good time. Right. But yeah. um, it's such a I, I don't know if the NBA is like that or other professional sports, but and I'm really hoping that the NFL started to change that. But, man, that was really prevalent for a long time. I, I think it, it, it it's an old school thought process. Um, and I think as um as good as the NFL is in a lot of ways, I think that there is a bit of a tendency sometimes to fall back on that. Plus it's the NFL. So it's like, you know, a man's man, you know, sport, it's like big powerful dudes hitting each other on a side. You know I mean? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing. And so I think that they kind of hang on to that type of stuff in the NBA and, and formally in college, I think it, it probably isn't perfect. And obviously I kind of speak for everybody, <clears throat> but I think it is a little bit better. And I think having sleep specialists brought on teams to work with players, and I would even say, <clears throat> taking that a step further to when sports psychologists started to become more of a presence in locker rooms, as opposed to just this thing you have in the background for when all hell breaks loose. It started to be more of a proactive thing involving people like nutritionists and psychologists and sleep scientists. I think that has and will further trickle into coaching staff and performance staff because it, again, it, and that's sort of why I framed it in the beginning is it's about performance period. So if your performance is coaching, if your performance is um, looking at data on the sports science side, if your performance is doing a badass podcast, um, that is the performance. You know, so to your point is that you can't have a sleep specialist come in, talk to your, you know, all-star point guard about sleep and why it's important for his performance and it not trickle into other people. And I think there has been more of a heightened discussion about coaching wellness, coaching well-being and coaching mental health in the last five years more than ever has been there is the the need to break old ties and sort of be okay with that. And like one thing I, that was um, uh, newer in the time that I've done this more so at Georgia tech where I was before for five or six years is, and, and I know Josh can probably speak on this a bit more to um, just in general, but napping was my, my point was going to be is with the things like taking a nap 
at one point kind of is seen as lazy. Like, oh, he's taking a nap, he's lazy. The kid's always sleeping, he's lazy. Oh, he's in the locker room in the back sleeping, he's lazy. And one of the things we promoted at Georgia Tech without guys is that's actually a really good thing. And we're not going to see it as you being lazy. We're not going to see it as you being, you know, whatever, um, dismissive of work or whatever. We're actually going to consider it a supplement, just like we would protein shake or just like we would a whatever. This 30 minutes you're taking, uh, timed well, uh, is actually really, really important for our success. And so to shift from sleeping is lazy, shift from sleeping is weak. And in this case with players, like taking a nap is actually like, that's a good thing. And we kind of oh. built like a little sleep room in the back. And, it, it, you know, we try to make it like just like taking a vitamin in the morning. Wow. Somewhere my dad's spinning in his grave. My dad used to come bad. in and my, my dad used to come in and bang on our door at 6 a.m. If we weren't up even on the weekends that we were lazy and if we ever took a nap. Yeah get up you lazy ass and so it was this idea that somehow sleeping like past 6 a.m in my house was like you're not going to be successful you're going to be late you know like uh it like that was uh it yeah no I, i'm uh, awesome to see the pendulum swing it's like yeah. uh you know like when when my kids um like it'll be like eight nine o'clock and they're still sleeping my wife's like what do you think i'm like let them sleep if they're tired i'm happy yeah. to have them sleep uh, you know, I mean, uh, maybe swinging the other way from a dad that was obsessed with the idea that if you didn't get up by 6 a.m., you weren't going to be successful in life. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of, you know, interesting parallels with, you know, startups and entrepreneurship, too, because you have people like Elon Musk, right? Who are like, oh, Elon sleeps four or five hours. He has well, like he's an alien. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's just push him out. Like, he's an alien. Yeah. But that's what a lot of people bring up in like conversation, like, oh, there's Elon. There's like all these like other like you know, successful startup, like, you know, business owners who are sleeping like such slow amounts of like getting low amounts of sleep, yet creating like, you know, billion dollar companies, whatever it is, clearly that's what we should be doing too. And then I always tell people, it's like, well, you know, like thousands of companies fail every day, right? And, you know, why do you think that is? You know, whether it's from, you know, conflicts in the team, people just not taking care of their, you know, mental health, you know, their sleep, you know, their, you know, physical fitness. And that's what, you know, provides longevity and, you know, a lot of people and like for us, you know, we kind of think of, you know, a lot of these realms, like Dan mentioned, that's like performance, right? If you're like running an amazingly successful podcast or running a startup, you are like, you know, high performers, you need to be performing at your best. And similar to like, you know, an NBA player, WNBA player, you want to have people around you that can help you kind of reach that goal. And obviously that's where a lot of the coaching comes in, especially with sleep or especially in like entrepreneurship. You know, you see people working 20, 20 hours a day trying to crank out some work. But then, you know, like you were mentioning, like, is that work quality? Is that work actually, um, you know, driving um, results for your team? Probably not. But if you give yourself that, you know, extra time to actually sleep, you can think more clearly um, to like do what you need to do. Josh, can you speak to the sleep assessment? Like if we're a, a coach, we can perform a movement assessment and then start to develop a program from there. What is the sleep assessment that helps then you develop sleep programs for your clients? Yeah, of course. So I think, you know, there's a couple of things. So first we do try and get a sense of, you know, what are you currently doing with your sleep routine? Like, what does your day look like? You know, what's going on? You know, for a lot of people, some of them are just like, yeah, you know, I kind of work and just kind of fall asleep. And like, I have no semblance of a routine. And for some people they have, you know, things that are more meticulous. Like I might take magnesium, I might take tart cherry, whatever it is. So everyone kind of comes at a different point to really try and get a sense of like, where are you in your sleep journey? And like, where are the places that we can kind of help you take it to the next level or just help you set a solid foundation so that you're able to jump off that to the next level. And, you know, I think, you know, even, you know, beyond that, because we use a lot of data from these devices, 
you know, for us, we're able to look at, you know, chronotypes, for example, because obviously we all have different tendencies um, in terms of when we um, fall asleep and when we wake up. So for example, I'm more of a morning lark or morning person. So, so I like to get up around, you know, six, seven, sleep around like, you know, 10 p.m. at night. But for some people, like my co-founder, Jason, you know, he's a night owl. So he has a propensity to sleep around like one or two and wake up much later in the day. And neither one is like, like bad. It's like just different, like for each person. And based on that, we can get a sense of like, okay, if that's really your timing, and this is how we can think about your schedule throughout the day to help you, you know, optimize and maximize what you're able to get in that time. And I think that's one of the issues. And like, also on a societal level is like, a lot of people are forced to be morning people when in all actuality, a lot of them may not be and they may be somewhere kind of farther down the line, like a night owl or someone who's kind of like maybe in the middle. Um, so really for us, we try and get an assessment of like, where are you in your sleep journey? And then kind of look at your chronotype, where are you? And then from there, really try and tailor plans and routines for you to help you um, improve your sleep. Is, uh, is there any like uh, credence to the fact that like some, or that sleeping, let's say uh, before midnight is more valuable than the sleep after midnight? Um, I remember, you know, reading a bunch of books on sleep and they're, you know, they talked about, uh, sleep before midnight being much more, uh, meaningful than obviously like later and that like, but I mean, maybe it sounds like people, as long as you're into a schedule, that's all that really matters. Yeah. I mean, I would say like two things, like for one, um, it's like, yeah, I think sleep consistency probably is like one of the like most important things to your sleep health. So just like sleeping at a consistent time at night, whether it's before or after, I think is also really important because when you're not doing that, and there was like an interesting like study um, at Harvard on this, when they looked at, you know, two groups of students, one that had sort of very crazy schedules, like, you know, regular college student schedules and ones that slept at consistent times. And the ones that slept at consistent times, you know, had higher GPAs and performed better sort of from a cognitive performance perspective than the latter group that was sort of all over the place. So I would say like consistency is definitely one of the most important factors. And also again, like some people just have the tendency to just sleep much later just given like their chronotype is something that is also kind of determined by your genes in, in large part. Uh, so I think like it definitely depends on like those factors. And then if you are sleeping at any time, just making sure it's a consistent time throughout um, the weeks and the days. Oh, I would guess, and this is just a guess, uh, the, the, the midnight kind of rule, so to speak, is possibly also driven by light. Because, you know, if you don't have a, a, a darkened room or a room that's dark enough, I should say, and light is breaking through, um, that is something that it can, can throw off uh, how you sleep and when you sleep, just because of, of the nature of how light affects your circadian rhythms. So obviously if you're sleeping before midnight, it tends to be darker. And if you're sleeping, if you fall asleep later than that, it's gonna get lighter quicker. So I, I would guess that's one of those like good rules to follow because of that part of it. But to Josh's whole, whole point there is the genetically driven chronotypes is really specifically what's going to help you. And if then you can help create your environment, whether it's work environment, sleep environment, and life environment around them, you'll feel better and succeed in a different way anyway. Yeah, we, we found um, just anecdotally when working with clients that the people that went to bed earlier tended to lose weight and actually get in better shape just because the fact that like, you know, you're up around 10 or a little bit later, they're you know, people start making some bad food choices. I always, and uh, I've told my clients for years, like, if you're feeling hungry at night, just go to bed. Like, it's just, you know, you're going to stay up and just make some bad decisions. So, I mean, it's, uh, I, I wonder if there's, you know, but at the end of the day, everybody's wired a little bit different. I mean, I, I know, uh, you know, my dad only, and which is hilarious now that we talk about it, he only really slept like three or four hours a night. 
he used to come home and, uh, you know, go to bed probably 10 or 11 and he'd wake up at 3 a.m. and work. And he followed that schedule my entire life. Like even when I was on the East coast and he was on the West coast, if I'd wake up at like six or seven, I could call him and he'd pick his phone right up. Hello. And yeah. he, you know, he lived to be 80. So, I mean, yeah. I always think if he could have slept a little bit longer, he might've lasted a little bit longer, but yeah. I mean, but his entire life, I mean, that was always his schedule is about three or four hours. Man, it's tough. Yeah. It, is tough. Oh. it is tough. And as you know, because I mean, you've spoken to a lot of the scientists and seen the research yourself is that, you know, there is the, the life longevity, a big piece of it has been found to be sleep and sleep duration. And so, you know, it's great that you, your father lived that long and hopefully had, had a, a, a wonderful life. But you, you do wonder things like that. You do wonder if there was another five, six, seven years you could tack on. To, and also, you know, not just to, to sort of like pinpoint your father, but also the quality of life at a certain point. You know, you just you just hope that because three or four hours is not a lot. I mean, at all for, for anybody, you know, even, even if it's something that you've sort of driven into your system. But Yeah, yeah. no, I, I believe me, I was always uh, I, I was always amazed with it. But, you know, uh, growing up in the, you know, in the 80s and the 90s, like there was none of the sleep research. No. It, it was just like, you know, uh, if you sleep too much, you're, you know, you're lazy shit and you'll never be yeah. successful in life. Yeah. So and what's also, pretty amazing is now so much sleep research has come out. And yeah. I uh, the way I always looked at it was like. You know, I mean, if you think about the state of sleep that we go into this almost comatose, undefensible uh, state, um, you know, think about it from like an ancestral evolutionary standpoint, like you probably had to find some place to hide because, uh, you know, things are going to eat you, you're indefensible and you basically go into this comatose state. I mean, uh, it has to be extremely valuable because it's yeah. such an indefensible position to be in when, you know, think about, you know, 10,000 years ago when everything that was not us was trying to eat us. I think most let me let me try and phrase this correctly. I think the the general population who doesn't perhaps follow sleep stuff, sleep information, sleep research, or maybe maybe more so now, just because to your point, it has become a bit more of a present thing. They don't really understand how how paralyzed, so to speak, you are in that state. I think they they know all the sleep cycles and REMs, and they don't but they don't really understand that. And to your point, is that evolution doesn't screw up. You know, it, it, it doesn't because we wouldn't be here or we wouldn't be here in the way that we are biologically, genetically and so on. So therefore, it has to be critical. And to reach that point, you know, you have to have you know, a certain amount of sleep to have fallen into this this uh, this state. And um, so therefore, their duration is important. And to you know, just point before to to allow that to be effective over time, consistency is important. So yeah, evolution doesn't make mistakes. And so, you know, the fact, the very, very fact, and you make a great, great point about it, is that you were sleeping in a bush trying to avoid a, you know, a saber-toothed tiger or whatever the hell it was at the point in time, and we still have it now, goes to show how absolutely critical this is to, um, to you as a human being. And what does that mean for, you know, your world and your life? So, yeah, absolutely. Well, like, look at giraffe. They sleep like, what, like three to five minutes a day? I mean, because we're, like, how are those you things going to... giraffes? Yeah, giraffes only sleep like a handful of minutes a day. And the reason being is how, like, how does a giraffe and they stay sleep standing up. So, I mean, like, how are they going to hide? Great point. Yeah. I mean, think, like, think about it. Like, I mean, you, you made a good point. Evolution doesn't make mistakes. No, no, it doesn't. That's the most um, uh, surprising giraffe reference I've ever been part of, but I, I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, no, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it, it it's just, it's very, very interesting. And I think, you know, to, to the bigger point of this discussion and why it's really great to have it with you guys is the more these things come out and the more people go, oh, you get paralyzed when you sleep. Well, what does that mean? You know, and then you kind of like you reverse engineer it to 
the realities of, of, of not why it's happening biologically, but why it's happening sort of in our evolution. Like, like what are we talking about? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what are we, what are we talking about? Like your body absolutely requires to have this and, and have it in, in, you know, large amounts. And, and, uh, and to do so, you will be more of a vital, healthy, confident, um, and, and therefore platform to be a successful person. And then who the hell doesn't want that, you know? I always call it free performance enhancing. Yeah. yeah, I think like Matthew Walker's phrase is like sleep is like he's like the best like performance enhancing drug we can have or like the free one that we can have. So, I mean, yeah, and I think like the more like as Dan mentioned, like the more people are bought into this, the more that they're able to achieve you know more out of life. And and obviously that's you know for us like a big like mission for us. Like imagine what your life could be with like more sleep, more sleep quality, more focus on this. Um, cause again, there's a reason why we spend a third of our lives sleeping. And if we're going to do it that much, we might as well make it something that, um, can really drive our performance and drive the way that we live in such a better way. How does the technology piece work into it? I mean, there's, uh, cause there's numerous pieces. I mean, obviously you're trying to collect data on sleep, um, through, you know, whatever it is, like you said, different wearables. Um, there's by far the most interesting piece of this whole piece, which is what do you sleep on? Uh, you know, like with beds, um, you know, like temperature in the room, uh, sheets. I mean, we, you know, uh, we have a chili pad, which dude, I can't imagine sleeping without it. Um, it's pretty difficult. It's pretty awful. Uh, but like, you know, like, uh, sheets, temperature. I mean, there's so many different variables that you can tweak. I wonder like, where do you start? And more importantly, um, you know, how do you effectively find the right recipe for every individual? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. And the focus for us is always initially on sort of behavior change and how do we help someone really effectively change the behaviors around sleep? Because for a lot of people that we work with, I think for, you know, a lot of people at large, it's, you know, they take, you know, a lot of these supplements, they use a lot of these devices, whatever it is, but, you know, for some reason, like their sleep quality or their sleep over time is still not, it's not where they want it to be. So, you know, for us, as we were kind of building Crescent, it kind of was a thought process of like, what really is like missing here in terms of like people and their sleep health. And we sort of realized, you know, looking at, again, like, you know, personal training for fitness or nutritionist or dietitian, whatever it is, you know, there were these people that were helping you kind of create structure, give you accountability, really help you change like the little behaviors on a day-to-day -day basis that actually helped you achieve whatever goals that you were looking for. So for us, we just look at, okay, at the base level, you know, are you sleeping consistently? Are you giving yourself like wind down time, you know, your body time to just you know rest in the evening? Are you doing all these like little things that really matter? And if not, then we should focus on those like first and foremost. And then from there, we can look at different factors like, okay, like, you know, what is your room temperature? Like, what are you sleeping on? Like, are you getting enough exercise? Because exercise, you know, affects, you know, your time to fall asleep and your quality of sleep as well. Are you getting like sunlight and looking at all these like little things, but starting from a base level, like your one, your understanding of sleep, and then these little behaviors that really help you um, actually have better sleep health over time. And that can help create a lasting change as opposed to saying like, Hey, take these supplements and you'll be fine. Or like, Hey, just get this one device and your sleep will be great. Cause for a lot of people that usually um, is not the case and doesn't really work. I think also just, you know, and, and, and that was all, you know, couldn't have said it better myself, but just it's for the listeners in general, I think one thing that I try, particularly with the demographics I've worked with, college students, professional athletes, and a few people in between, is your your sleep space needs to sort of be this, this sanctity, like it really does, as sort of corny as that sounds. So it doesn't need to be 
uh, a place that you study in. It doesn't need to be like, oh, I'm going to sit in my bed on my phone watching movies. I'm going to eat in my bed. I mean, there's only really a couple of things that you should be doing in your bed. Um, you know, one of them is really, really fun and the other one is going to sleep. So anything else is a distraction from the ability to get good quality sleep. And so I think, you know, like Josh is saying is that having whatever your tracker of choice is, um, it's great, but unless you are trying to make sure your environment is conducive to positive, um, sleep, then it really doesn't matter. And so like, like Josh has just said, to kind of just go over that again, just quickly to this point is that, you know, room temperature is, is very, very important. You know, I like, I know people who are like, oh, I love being super warm and I need 800 blankets and this and that. And comfort obviously is a piece of this, but your body does need to reduce temperature uh, across the night to fall asleep and sleep well. And so that is why um, cooler room temperatures are, are better and the chili pad is a good thing and, and, and so on and so forth. So as you change environments and you go on vacation or if you travel, you know, like we do, or you go in hotels because you're, you're dealing in business, that's something you need to think about. Like I said before, is your room dark enough? You know, if it's not dark, you need to make sure you find a dark, get dark shades, you know, maybe, maybe improve that. Because these small little changes will in fact drive larger change across the board with your sleep. And then you can start using something like Tracker and, and, and something like Chris and help to help you get some insights on what's happening and sort of find the process. But you have to start at the beginning. The, the way you sleep is it needs to have only a few different things that are done there. And really it's just centered around that and that's it. It's not supposed to be a hangout place. Uh, in fact, one of the rules that, that we talk about with Crescent um, is if you're struggling going to sleep, tossing and turning, mind racing. There's a few different things that you can do to help release that. But the bottom line is don't just sit there stressing about it. Get up, change your locations, go downstairs and get a drink, take 30 minutes away in a darker space, and then come back to this sanctity of a room, reset yourself, and then you'll find that you'll be able to sleep better too. So I think as a sort of a, as a quick summation, I think temperature, light, um, and even a couple of things like you were mentioning, like pillows and stuff like that are worth taking a look at because um, you, you will reap bigger rewards than you realize. Yeah, now we have um, a Tempur-Pedic and it always just gets hot. And uh, like I just figured it was something that I had to deal with. So I used to sleep on top of the covers and then we got the chili pad. And uh, it's to the point where like, uh, you know, right around like 830, I start yelling at my kids like, hey, start <laughs> brushing your teeth. And we start this basically like, uh, fucking tax master whip to the back to try to like get them in to brush their teeth and start going through the little like uh like sleep ritual like go put your jammies on like get ready and like it's this constant push to the point where i'm like man this is gonna mess my sleep up but what's funny is i'll go turn on the chili pad and i'll go in there and the kids will be actually trying to sleep in my bed and my wife will be like get out go to your rooms and uh i'm thinking like man maybe for christmas i might get them their own chili pads yeah. And your employees, whatever. and your employees. We just need to get lots of chili pads. Uh, there's, it's. Uh, I'm telling you that that was an absolute game changer for us. Uh, like, uh, I because I, I read a, a study that talked about the reason that people roll over and move in bed is they're constantly looking for a, a, a cooler place, and like that that, yeah. that that little piece. And that's where you know all of a sudden I got on it, and I was like, man, that's made uh, to the point where uh, I'll actually wake up in the exact same position that I fell asleep in, and I'll, you know, you wow. kind of like. You're like drooling and you're like, man, have I been, did I even move last night? And uh, it's been, it's, that's been a big game changer for us. No, that's good. That's good. And then the other thing that's interesting too is, is with, with your, your kids is, and this goes back to a point I made before is, is the pursuit of good sleep is an innate thing within us. 
and so even though I'm sure there's a part of like fun, like being a dad's bed and let me do, you know, he's going to yell at me, you know, kind of playfully or whatever. But they also, I think, innately understand that this slightly cooler temperature, because we're all primal. I mean, we're all sure. still people. I mean, everybody knows that. I mean, we haven't really changed much in terms of 10,000 years, clearly. So I think that, that there are certain things that we just innately know. And I think, you know, to some of the points that Josh made earlier is that either society or scheduling or life is, is trying to pull us against it. But in reality, we want to find cooler places that are darker and have a level of comfort. We know we need a certain amount of sleep because we feel crappy afterwards. It's an innate thing. We just have to, have to stop denying it. And then the whole bigger point of this is that when you do stop doing that or you reduce your you fight against it so much, you'll start to see that you play basketball better or you feel better or your podcasts are clean or whatever it might be. And so I think that's when the circle's kind of complete. And hopefully, hopefully, um, you know, we're moving towards that more as, as, uh, as we learn more. I got a question about coffee naps. This is not an excuse for me to take a nap in the office, John. I'm just curious, like, is what's a coffee nap? You mean like where you can drink this- a pot of coffee and then go right to sleep? Yeah. Well, yeah. Two, two questions in that. John can drink coffee at 9 p.m. And then pass out like, like I could have like three double espressos and go over and lay down and go insulin sleep. And then I just I think mean, it's because I'm so sleep deprived as a parent. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. But then there's, there's buzz within the, the normal gen pop of coffee naps. So what the fuck is that? What is a coffee nap? Those two words don't go together. I'm going to hand it off to our okay. professionals. All right. Make it happen. Yeah. So a coffee nap is um, almost like it sounds. So effectively what happens is that, you know, before you like sort of take a nap, you'll kind of chug, you know, some coffee and when you take the nap, effectively what's happening is, you know, your adenosine receptors. So things that, you know, kind of treat sleep pressure, um, sort of like those are opening up. So the caffeine is binding to them. So when you're taking this like, you know, 20, 25 minute nap, whatever it is, you know, when you wake up, you get this jolt of energy because now like, you know, the coffee is there and plus you've got this 25 minute nap. So it's almost like a mix of both worlds. And a lot of people use that you know, as a way to, you know, boost their energy, boost their focus, especially if let's say they like last night was a little bit shorter on sleep than they wanted to. So a coffee nap is um, something that, you know, you know, we've done, we've you know written about a little bit, and it's definitely something that can be very effective, but obviously like being mindful of like timing of it too, um, because, you know, caffeine has a half-life, I think three to nine hours. And so obviously, you know, you drank the caffeine, there's still going to be half of it in your system and, you know, X amount of time. So timing of it is also like extremely important. Yeah, no, uh, I am a fast metabolizer of caffeine. Like it, I had zero effect on me. And uh, to the point where like, you know, you go out with people like, oh, I can't, like uh, Luke who used to work with us. He couldn't have coffee past like noon or he'll be up for two days. And I, I just like, I, w- I wonder what that's like. Gets so, work done. Yeah, get a lot of stuff done. Uh, like uh, as you're like starting to work with a lot of these younger players and like, you know, athletes come in. What's uh like? What are the misconceptions? Like, what is like? What's the MythBuster associated with performance and sleep? And because I'm sure you have uh you know a bunch of kids that are you know fairly you know early twenties. I just wonder like, is a big part of this just busting myth and almost proving to them that yeah. uh, sleep is so impotent? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I mean the myth is exactly what you said at the beginning uh, in terms of you know I know you were joking around about sleep when you're dead and all that, but they they feel like they can power through it because there's a level of resiliency of being young. There's the level of invincibility because you, you, you know, you think you are because you were young. And so there's just an assumption, you know, that I'll be fine. I can get through this. 
Then there's also the kind of, you know, AAU mentality of, um, well, this is what we, this is what I've always done. You know, we would take a nap on the floor between games and we'd be in the hotel room playing video games. And then we would, you know, you know, go play a million games on a weekend. And the discussion was all, is also nutrition comes up a lot in that too. You know, it's like, well, I ate like crap on the road and then we played seven games and got McDonald's afterward or whatever. And there's, 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 there's the myth busting there before I answer the question more specifically is just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. And also, were you succeeding because of what you were doing or in spite of what you were doing? And so if you can get them to pause on that for a minute, that's a good thing. To answer your question, though, particularly when you're dealing with higher level athletes, probably in any sport, and, and obviously you were one, so you know this too, is you have to correlate what you're talking about to things that they care about. And in this case, it's performance. So if you can quantifiably say, and this is, you know, you know why Crescent Health is good for you know, athletes, but also regular people and say, when you sleep X amount of hours or when you have this level of sleep quality, or even if you're just taking questionnaires, like a wellness questionnaire, and it has like sleep quality, quantity, it's a subjective conversation, um, but you, you have some data, so to speak, on that. Then you can say, when you do these things, you score this amount of points or you are this more efficient using efficiency metrics in games, because then it's something that they go, oh, all right, that's really impactful. So one example from when I was at Georgia Tech was we used a um, a uh, sort of a wearable performance tracker to measure outputs in practice, so like GPS type of thing, like accelerometry, so distance and sprints and all that kind of stuff. And there was a specific intensity metric that we had had, um, which was sort of like overall work in practice. And the coaches liked it because it showed that the guys were working hard. And the way that I described it to the players was basically that not just are you working hard, in a punitive way, like, oh, God, I'm not working hard enough because he's mad at me, but also you're working hard enough to be effective for us to be successful in the games. So this intensity metric was important. So at the time we were taking um, subjective questionnaires, like I was saying, so, you know, how basically how well do you feel like you slept on a, on a one to 10 scale? And we did a quick um, regression analysis for the year before, and I think it was the summer before the, this particular player's junior year started. And the correlation between his subjective uh, uh, reported sleep and how well he practiced with intensity metric was as good as person's height and weight is correlated. And so it was sort of indefensible to the kid. So I had a meeting with him on the sideline, just really low key. I said, look, this is you telling me how you feel like you slept. It's not even a tracker. It's not even something as refined as that. And what this information is telling us is that when you report this certain, you know, lower level of sleep, you don't perform as well in practice. And if you don't do that in practice, it doesn't help us win games. And it was like a light bulb moment for the guy because he was because he couldn't really argue with me because he's the one telling me to sleep. It's not me just telling him what I think. But it was a quantifiable metric versus something that we, we held value in in terms of this intensity uh, metric in practice. And so I think to Josh's point, too, is it wasn't like it was an overnight thing where it's like, oh, well, shit, I'm going to change everything I do and sleep like a champion. But over the years, he slowly started to understand that I need to really work on this. And from being a, you know, not played a whole lot his freshman year, a little better, he ended up being one of the best players in the ACC his last couple of years and is now has a chance to, to uh, make an NBA roster and make noise. So I think the take-home message there to answer your question is, the myth busting is basically that you can kind of power through something or like, I'll, I'll be able to do it. I've always done this. This is the way that I've, that, that it's been for me. 
breaking that myth by showing them that this actually does correlate to something that's important to you. And, you know, obviously at this level, it could be NBA contracts, you know, it could be breaking injury cycles. It could be anything, but whatever this specific thing that they hold value in, if you can tie the one to the other, usually after that, other than just kind of like checking it every now and again, usually it kind of takes care of itself at that point. Dan, was there a, a moment, you said you've been coaching for 15 plus years, was there a moment when you decided, man, there's, it's got to be sleep? Where, where did this value and passion for this component come for you in your career? Uh, I think that's a good question. I think um, probably about, I started doing this in more formally at the college level in 06. And I would probably say about eight to 10 years in, I had done a lot of like, you know, personal development as a coach and really, you know, going down rabbit holes with, <clears throat> excuse me, more, more traditional physical development, weight training, cardiovascular stuff. And, and I was really digging into all that stuff and trying to A, be a better coach and B, provide better uh, platforms for physical development for the athletes I was working with. But all of a sudden you hit a point when you realize that the psychology of um, what you're asking them to do, how you're asking them to do it and their responses to it is actually more important because that's sort of step one because then if you can get them to understand why lifting weights is important and how to lift weights is important and get them to buy, you know, quote unquote, buy into those things that you'll, you'll then get better um, quality training sessions. So then whatever you want to do from the physical perspective can be then amplified. So as I was starting to go down this psychological uh, rabbit hole again, is that one of the things that kept coming up was not only things like buying and, and flow state and mental, all the different stuff related to that, it was constantly the sleep would, would, would come up um, because obviously sleep is a physical thing, but it has a really strong psychological component too. So really it was one of those things I would say probably nine, 10 years in when I felt more comfortable as a coach with uh, being able to teach and preach and, and you know, the, the physical development piece, I started to really realize that the secrets to all this really are in the head and in the mind. And I would also tie the sleep piece into that. And that is sort of where the discussions came in more. At that point in time, I, was, I had been doing wellness questionnaires for a couple of years and sleep kept coming up uh, as, a, as, a, as something that was an important conversation. Um, and then over the course of sort of my, my, my time doing this is that cell phone use and cell phone usage and cell phones in general and the technology of cell phones is like blown open. They're now mini computers. Whereas when I, you know, when I first came to this country from England in 98, they just really weren't like that. So, you know, to the point you guys were making before is that then, you know, now that the athletes I'm working with are living on their phones in ways that we never thought of. And even when I first started doing this or I first was in college, you know, too, I had a cell phone, but it was just something I called my girlfriend on. It wasn't, you know, I put it down and it was that moved on my day. Um, so I think that it was it was a sort of swirling of the reality of the what the athletes I deal with are doing, along with me understanding that kind of tapping into their psyche and what drives that from the sleep perspective and the psych perspective really was probably more important than the physical side of it. And then if you move to these higher levels like the NFL, like you know, formerly ACC basketball and now NBA basketball is that the psychological piece really is the biggest separator. I mean, like you were saying, is that you hit that point when in that three-year three window when you can play, you can't play. Once you've kind of separated that from the players and the non-players is when you get to the players group is what separates the elite players from the non-elite players. They're all players, quote-unquote players. And I would say 85%, 90% of the time it, it involves the psychology. 
And again, what helps drive the psychology is better quality sleep and things like that. So I know that was a big answer to the question, but it was a lot of me going into sort of what is driving them mentally and realizing that constantly coming up in that discussion was sleep. And so, um, you know, so that was kind of a, a cool avenue to go down. And, and that led me to, to, you know, connecting with Crescent Health and with Josh and, you know, amplifying my sleep knowledge and, and trying to better understand the application of sleep in these spaces. And, and, and it's, been a, it's been a cool adventure to this point. So where do you start? Um, you know, a young player comes in and uh, he wants to try to maximize his performance and he wants to go into the sleep realm. Like what's day one? Like what's the first thing you do? Like is it a sleep study? Is it monitoring? Like. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I th- I think how do we open Pandora's box? Yeah, I mean, no man, no doubt. It's a hell of a, hell of a Pandora's box. And I think, I think it's, it's basically some of the, how, how Josh explained, you know, the, the Crescent Health, the Crescent Health process, excuse me. It's the same thing because sometimes these guys and, and girls don't realize they have, I'll use the word problem, even though I don't mean that in the truest sense, that they have a problem. They don't realize it. And then sometimes it's like, well, no, if you look at these numbers of, of performance, and then you talk about slabs, you start to see a trend and then they start to understand that maybe there is some of this. On the flip side, if they come to you and they say, you know, I think I, I don't know if I'm, sleep just feels like it's not something I've got a good handle on. Well, you then you have to know, well, how are they sleeping? You know, what does that look like? Because, you know, to Josh's former point, it says that consistency is really gonna be your anchor. But then secondarily, chronotype wise, you can't penalize somebody who goes to bed later when their chronotype suggests that they should. So there's a, there's a few avenues you have to go down, but the first thing is, do they know that they have a problem? So to speak problem. And that's, that's one way of dealing with it, or one avenue to go down. And then if they feel like they have, because they've come to you with this question, then it's along the lines of, okay, well, how actually are you sleeping? And again, not to use nutrition as the constant analogy with this, but it's the same thing. It's like, you know, I don't know that I eat poorly. Well, okay, let's write this stuff down and let's take a look at how many calories you consume, what type of calories are. Or I think I eat poorly. Okay, well, cool. Let's write this down. Let's take a look at what your day looks like. It's the same thing with sleep. It's like, I don't realize I'm doing poorly. Let's track it and show you. Or I think I might be sleeping poorly. Let's track it and show you. Make some interventions. Like I said before, try and tie it to something that you care about, like performance or whatever it might be. And then you start to get some inroads. And then you have to you have to understand that the people are people, and young athletes are, are young people, and you know, pro athletes have a million different things going on that they're expected to be dealing with. And so nobody can be perfect. And so it's okay to fall off the wagon with this. But if you have a strong enough uh, understanding of why it's important. If you have something supporting you like Crescent Health or, or, or like somebody in, in our space who's, who's more one-on-one or a sleep coach is that they can help put you back on the wagon and you can keep going because nobody can be perfect. I mean, the, the world isn't built like that. Um, so I think it's important not to feel um, like you screwed up and like, like, I will screw it all. I'm going to throw it to the wayside. Like, no, it's okay. Everybody has a day. It's when a day becomes a week. You know, it's the whole, it's the whole thing. Again, use food as an analogy. When people talk about Christmas day, or, or New Year's Day or, or, or Thanksgiving Day. It's a day. It's a day. It's not Christmas. I mean, it's a week, but it's people don't talk about Christmas week. It's Christmas Day. So you can eat poorly for one day, then you got to get back on track again. You know, I slept poorly for one day. Cool. Get back on track again. These are the ways to do it. These are the reasons why did you go off? So I think the best thing is to have a conversation, track it, and then make a plan for it. Cool. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I mean, it's uh, like, it's pretty exciting to see the professional sports, uh, you know, for so long, 
which is focused on just a few different things. And now it's just, they've really just opened this entire, like, uh, just cascade of like everything that's available to it. And now, you know, I mean, like, uh, I'm, uh, you know, coach, I know you're working more with them with just sleep. I mean, sports psychologists, like, like how, like how, how far does it go? And really like, I mean, you think about the teams that are invested. It's a little different in the NFL. There's like 53 players on a basketball team. What there's like 11 or 12. Yeah, and, yeah. We we have 15 that we 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 have in, in regular season. Yeah. So I mean, it's uh, like there's so much focus and there's so much individual time. Like, uh, what's the gamut that you work with these kids? And more importantly, like, how do you kind of decide? Is it something where the team or it's really the individual? It's like, no, nah, I'm good. I'll keep doing what I'm doing. Or do they come to you and say, Hey, you know, coach, how do I eat better? How do I sleep? Like, uh, you know, I need, I, it'd be great if I could talk to somebody. Is it just think, kind of, a, a, I think, it, I think it, it's, I think the, the first point of the question is I, I think the, the, the different disciplines that are becoming involved in, in pro sports and sports in general, obviously the bigger the team, the bigger the level, the bigger the budget, the bigger the access and those kind of things obviously will dictate how far you can go down. But I mean, if you, if you think about it, you know, biomechanics, for example, force plate analysis and, and uh, motion capture is something that was done uh, clinically in laboratories. And now you can do it in, in professional facilities and even some training facilities. And that was something that you just did not have access to, you know, five, 10 years ago, or you would have to go to this dusty lab in the back of some building or go to a college. And now you can do it and uh, you can do it quickly and get really good insights. And so, and the avenues are constantly opening up. And, and, and that's what I think is fun about the space, particularly in the sports science space that I work in, is it really is wide and widening. And, you know, the, the, if, you, if you are open to that and you keep your eyes and ears open and, and you're trying to delve into these different areas, and, and one of the big ones, obviously, in more recent years, because we can collect so much data now, is data analysis is something that's become really prevalent. And they got to use Moneyball as a reference before um, because it's something everyone knows about. But you know, you take that from statistical Moneyball, which is sort of what drove the baseball evolution with Saber metrics, and you bring that into physical metrics and how do you Moneyball physical metrics? You know, in terms of like heart rate and and, and distance sprinted and biomechanical data and sleep data. How, how do you play with that and create something? So I think to, to the first point, the question is that it's going to keep going. And I think that the more you're open to it and the more you can involve yourself in it, the better it will be. I think there is a caveat to that, though, at a certain point, you can't just do things to do things. Because as you know, particularly in the athletic space, is that there isn't time. Forget money for a second, there isn't time. And so it's all well and good that we're going to do this new funky thing. But if we can't really intervene on it quickly, um, then it may be a place of interest, but it actually may not help change our daily operations. And so it's probably something that's going to either get kind of put, put by the wayside. In terms of the day-to-day um, application of it, it, it's sort of both team and individual. It, you, you, I think you meet people where, where they are and, and um, you know, kind of help bring them up into spaces. And so if it's somebody that, that really doesn't want to track sleep or has no interest in tracking sleep at this point in time, that's fine. Let's, let's have a different avenue to go down. But the chances being, if I come and meet you where you are and you appreciate what I'm telling you about your I don't know, your, um, your uh, you know, like GPS stuff, and you're okay with that because it's something you want to know about, there's a good chance at some point we'll be able to talk about your sleep because you're starting to see value in, A, what I'm bringing to the table, um, but also in terms of what this data can do and perhaps in other areas. And then team-wide, obviously, it'd be the same thing. And usually what I try to do is 
you know, go for kind of low hanging fruit and areas that are specifically in need. So if you're looking at, at 10 different things, whatever they might be across the spectrum of data you collect from GPS, wellness, sleep stuff, psych metrics and everything else, which ones are they at their lowest ebb in? And those are the ones that you want to hit upon. And then the same thing would be for a team. Is it, are we in a fatigue state as a group? Okay, well, let's, let's talk about how to fix that. Are we in a, you know, whatever state as a group, let's go fix it. Are we doing really, really well? That's great. Applaud everybody. Make sure that you don't use, just use data and science as a punitive tool. And you don't just use data and science as a, I'm always coming to tell you that you, you are doing something wrong or you're negatively trending in sleep. I also want to come and celebrate you and say, man, you had the best four nights sleep you've had in two years. You know, you've had the best intensity performance for this young guy from a couple of years ago you have in the last six months. And look what that's doing to you as, as a young professional, as a guy on the floor. So I think to answer the question on that, I think it, it, you, you want to look for areas that you can connect with them. And it could be, and sometimes it's surprising what, what they want to be interested in. And then tie things that you are interested in, that you know, will help them into that conversation. And then team-wide, it would be the same kind of thing, you know, kind of like macro and, and, and micro um, observances. Do you find it hard to convince the young guys to let you track their sleep? Just because I know young guys want to go out and they want to try to go out and meet girls and have some drinks yeah. and party a lot. And, uh, I, you know, I, yeah. I know as a young NFL player, I was, if somebody was oh, like, yeah. Hey, I'm going to give you this device to track your sleep. I'd be like, yeah. Oh, it broke again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The battery is always out. I think that's one of those things. If you come with honesty uh, from my side, if you come with honesty and integrity and again, it's not set up to be punitive. You know, I think that's one thing that's super important. Uh, in, and I would say even in general, and I know Josh can speak on this a little bit too. Like, like let's just say it's me tracking my sleep with Aura. And, I, and I'm like, God, I'm always really bad at my sleep. And it becomes like self-flagellation of poor sleep. That's not good either. So if you take that as a concept and then you say like, this guy is going to come over and he's going to ask me about my sleep. I'm going to lie because... He knows and I know that I was out last night or he knows and I know that this is something that, you know, whatever. If it's one of those things where it's honest, and that was very much in college, my whole discussion with them is that like, look, I need to know when you're doing these things and you don't have to give me specifics because it's not my business to know specifically what you were doing. But, you know, when I had a dual role as sports science and strength and conditioning, if you don't let me know that you've done this, then I'm not going to be able to adjust things on my end to help that and also to teach you why. So you're going to be in a place that it's not good for you to train a certain way, or you're going to be in a place that, that puts us both in a bad position. So I don't have to constantly report this back to the head coach, um, but it needs to be something that we have an open dialogue in. And I think if you have that where it's not punitive, it's not judgmental, it's really more about teaching. And again, the information is referred back to them in a way to help them then I think they tend to be a little bit more honest. And again, people are people, it is what it is. There's that whole know your personnel type of thing in general, where it's like, okay, I know that this particular person isn't necessarily gonna be like completely honest with me. So maybe sleep for them isn't gonna be the thing where I'm gonna be able to hook them at this point. I'm gonna have to hook them with something else. Then they're gonna know, you know, love and trust what I'm bringing to the table. So maybe that we can come back to that sleep discussion. And that's just, that's just the art and the science. I mean, you know, not to belabor this, 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 this question, but I find a lot of times that people believe it's one or the other. It's going to be art or science. Like it's all science, but it, it, they go hand in hand at all times in all spaces. And if you can't work in both, 
you're going to fail. And I think that a job like I have and have had in the past is the ultimate nuance job and is the ultimate field job. And it's the same in respect, respect to this. So, so I don't, Josh, I don't know if, if you know, my, my point about like self-flagellation, I mean, it's, I, I, mean I, would, I would say it's true with the general population as well, right? When you're trapping yourself. Yeah, I mean, you know, for, for a lot of people, they'll like look at, you know, all these metrics from like or something, be like, oh my gosh, am I deep in REM sleep? Or like, oh my gosh, like what's going on? And then, you know, they stress themselves out and they're kind of like, I kind of all this, like, I, you know, what's what's going on. And then people kind of psych themselves out of better sleep and try and like, you know, kind of try all these different things. And when they see like, you know, their sleep score is not moving or something is not moving in whatever direction they want, it's kind of like, okay, my sleep is not great. I'm not doing great. And it's just this bad loop and yeah. like the psychology of things. And, you know, as you mentioned, Dan, like, I think a big part of it, you know, at least what we do Crescent Health and also what you do is like, you know, how do you build an effective relationship with someone where you can you know, meet them where they at and just build like with each other to help like remove any of those like barriers or psychological barriers and help people just like get to that point where they are, they are getting better sleep, better health and things like that. So, you know, I think, so yeah, like a lot of people come to us like with that mindset of like, this data is crazy. It's like very scary. I don't know what's going on, nor do I know what's actually working for me. And I need like some guidance. I need some help because I do want this, but I just feel like I've been in this like bad loop of like my own psychology and I want someone to help me kind of get out of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, all the sleep devices, uh, especially the monitoring devices I've tried, I end up feeling more pressure from them. Like I, I slept with the aura ring, um, you know, a pinky, uh, a pinky aura ring. Well, the problem is, and, uh, dude, I've talked to Harpreet <laughs> about this numerous times. Like the biggest size they make is like, I want to say like a 12. And, uh, so like my ring finger is what, like a 13. And, uh, so the only thing they really fit is a pinky ring. And, you know, as a, a cool dude, just rolling around wearing a pinky ring doesn't really work. I'm not Italian, uh, you know, or, you know, a playboy or whatever it is. So, but yeah, I mean, I, uh, I have this, I've worn a whoop. I mean, I've worn a few different things. So it's, it's one of those deals where all of a sudden, like you wake up, you look at it and you're like, ah, oh, man, like I feel pressure. And I think like, there's like a, a negative feedback loop where you're like, oh, it's not looking good. And sometimes, you know, you just don't want to know, you know, that information. But unfortunately, if you don't know it, then you're not necessarily making, um, you know, conscious decisions. Uh, the one that I've really run into with a lot of guys, especially as they get into their late 30s, early 40s, is sleep apnea. And, um, you know, I recommend, hey, you know what, if, if you're training pretty hard and you're having some, you know, you, you're constantly feeling tired, you know, go get a sleep study done. I had one client that was struggling to lose weight and found out he was waking up like 200 times a night. You know, and uh, what's pretty wild is that, you know, looking at the blood work, and I, I don't know how, how far you, or deep you guys get into doing any type of like blood work stuff, but I always recommend, you know, uh, every six months, people should get it done, especially past the age of 30, just so that you have this historical data as you get into your 40s, where it becomes much more important. Um, but uh, all of a sudden, you know, everything started improving once we figured out that you know, sleep apnea was a massive culprit and, uh, you know, body weight came into control. Uh, you know, all of a sudden all the markers that he was, that were high for started coming in and just that little, you know, advent or, um, introduction of a CPAP and the CPAPs are way better today. Um, I think Resmed sent me one and I mean, it's small, it's kind of quiet. doesn't sound like fucking Darth Vader's under, under the water anymore, but, uh, just the performance uh, aspect of that was huge to the point where, um, that's one of the first things I'm like, Hey, if you have trouble with your sleep, go get a sleep study. I mean, you might be dealing with sleep apnea. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, fascinating too, because, you know, people will, you know, sometimes come to us and be like, you know, I think I wake up a lot during the night or my partner does, but I don't believe that I'm or whatever it is. 
And then, you know, on our side, we can actually see like all of the awakenings and like their data and like actually provide more context and insight around it. And they're just like, hey, like, like your partner is saying this, now you have this ring and guess what? It's like that mix of art and science, right? Like, like we see like what the data is saying, it's like you are having all these frequent wake ups, then you should think about, you know, sleep study or like kind of go down that route. So I think like, yeah, for, for a lot of people, it's like seeing it and then having someone like explain that to them and like what, how it's affecting them and kind of showing it like in other sides of their data, right? Like your HRV, your resting heart rate, all these different things. And you can be like, this is the full picture of what's going on. Do you need like get like step or you need to take care of this like ASAP? I, I want to explore sleep and muscle growth. Majority of our clients are that gen pop in which awesome programming provided by Train Heroic, shout out. Uh, muscle building programs, uh, business professionals that have garage gyms that follow this. So it's sleep is one thing and we've communicated health. Now, how about just being one badass dude who's jacked as all hell? So what's the connection between sleep and hormones that we can motivate the rest of the people that don't care about health, but just how they look in the mirror? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, to touch upon that a little bit, you know, you know, so during like deep sleep, you know, which happens like more so in the beginning part of the night, you know, that's where we produce a lot of, you know, HGH or like growth hormones, where, you know, that's when our muscles are repaired, tissues getting repaired, the muscles are growing. And, you know, I've talked to like some athletes and people and actually once she was like an Olympian, she was like, her trainer was like, okay, you're training like on the track, but the real training recovery happens like when you sleep. So like, make sure that you're getting enough of this because um, if you're not, then you're not going to be, your muscles will not be as strong and not be obviously, as we know, like performing as well. So I think there is obviously a very like close tie to like the sleep that you're getting, um, especially like the deeper rest that you're getting deep sleep and your ability to like produce those, you know, growth hormones, like which a large majority have in like 60, 75% of it is produced like during like, you know, sleep and deep sleep. So I think for a lot of people, like they miss out on that and think like, you know, I'll just, you know, eat a bunch of food. I'll get four hours and I'll go back to like, you know, lifting or running, but sleep is like the most, one of the most important things to muscle growth and recovery. Well, you know, back in the day, uh, they used to sell GHB at the health food store and the bodybuilders I know used to take this and, uh, it was like a ninja blow dart. The problem is people started putting in people's drinks and there was a bunch of bad stuff went down, but that was like a huge bodybuilding supplement because these guys could basically just like ninja blow dart themselves. And- is it the same sleep though? Is it getting knocked uh, yeah, out versus it's like- extremely deep and it's restorative sleep. I mean, oh. it does something where it puts you in like a absolute kind of like rent or I forgot what the, the deep sleep, um, uh, like you almost bypass and go right into that. But it's the other sleep drugs that ambient, right. That just, yeah, you don't get the sleep benefits yeah. or am I wrong? Yeah, that was, uh, I remember we had partially on him talking about, uh, how the sleep drugs don't really even put you into a sleep. They just kind of put you like very, very lightly into something that could be quantified or people think is sleep. Yeah. I think that's like something we see for a lot of people is like certain things that they think are helping them sleep well, but actually aren't like alcohol, for example, like a lot of people, like, I guess as another myth buster is like, Oh, isn't that like for no, for just get knocked out. <laughs> like, Have you ever gone out and had a whole bunch of drinks and thought you slept the best you've ever slept in a night? I don't, I don't think I've ever heard that. I personally, I've experimented with this on more than one occasion. <laughs> I can never think after we went out and had a whole bunch of drinks, I got up the next morning. I'm like, man, that was a phenomenal sleep. Like if anything, yeah. I'm like, man, I think, I think alcohol is the worst sleep disruptor. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. And but for a lot of people, it's that sort of initial phase of like alcohol just helped me fall asleep. And like, it just knocked me out and got me into sleep. And like, now I'm like, oh, I wake up and yes, I might feel like crappy, but like, of course, like I, I slept as 
fell asleep like pretty fast. Right. And I went into like, I don't even remember what happened, but like you mentioned, like you're dehydrated, you're, you know, having all these little wake ups throughout the night and it's definitely not like great for sleep. What about, um, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to out anybody, but I know, uh, uh, you know, marijuana is big in professional sports. You know, the NFL still tests for it. Like there's a window of about a month uh, in the NFL where they do street drug testing. It's in the off season. So if you ever see in the NFL, a guy get popped for street drugs, they got a real fucking problem. Like to the point where like dudes knew exactly what the window was. They cleaned up. I don't know if it's uh, like that in the NBA, but is that something, and I'm not saying any NBAs to do it, but like how does, you know, potentially cannabis, marijuana, and some of those other CBD and whatnot, uh, how does that affect sleep? And more importantly, if you see, if we were to look at sleep studies, is it quantifiable that maybe it's a benefit or is it a hindrance or? Uh, it's another one of those uh, perception changes that, that's going on in terms of more, more of the CBD uh, stuff just in general. Um, because if you take just pure recreational use out for a second because you enjoy it, much like drinking or, or some other type of thing, it, its medicinal effects are more than proven at this point um, and uh, overall are more healthy than just constantly taking pills, for example. Uh, so, I'm in complete agreement, man. The, uh, yeah. the opiate problem in professional sports, I mean, I really believe, especially in uh, where I come from with playing football, that there's a direct relationship between the CTE, the opiates, and guys killing themselves. Okay. I mean, uh, yeah. I, I actually had a guy call me yesterday, ex-player, uh, reached out to me and was like, hey, man, can I talk to you? And is going through all the same problems that I've seen too many times. And my first question is, did, how, did you take painkillers? Yeah. yeah, I used to pop them like breath mints. Uh, yeah. you know, and even after he played and he's like, man, I couldn't like, if there was 20, I was going to take 20. If there was 50, I'd take 50. And now yeah. here he is a bunch of years later, having a ton of problems. And as I hear this stuff, uh, I'm like, man, like, I mean, if uh, cannabis or marijuana was a more viable option, I would push that in a heartbeat, but it's, uh, I mean, in terms of like, uh, I mean, sleep, you know, you always hear like, uh, you know, uh, you know, I smoked and it, went, it put me right to sleep. I just have never looked at any of the sleep studies associated with it to see if like people are really hitting REM sleep and hitting through their sleep cycles and if it's a benefit. Yeah, I, I guess I'll use um, like one, like two, I guess two things. So I think in terms of like actually smoking marijuana, obviously it's like the like THC that's kind of affecting like so REM sleep. So interestingly, like if you look at like people's like data when they are like, you know, smoking like the night before, like, and also we don't look at day-to-day -day, like changes in like REM sleep because it's more like good to look at baseline trends from baselines for looking at a lot of this data. But it's always like, you know, the REM sleep like over time always like drops like significantly. And, and you know, obviously we've seen that in studies as well. But I think like some populations where they found it to be helpful is actually with people who have like PTSD or people like who are like in the military because like, you know, a lot of um, like what happens for them happens like during REM sleep where they're like really active, like they're, you know, all these things are going on, but because like when they smoke, like it's like suppressing that, then they aren't getting like that anxiety or like the things that happen from the PTSD. So in certain populations, it could help um, in, in those ways. And, you know, we've actually had you know, people like using Crescent Health who've like looked at things like marijuana and like CBD for sleep. And we can actually see like the changes over time when people are using these different habits or different supplements. And, you know, this one person, like he looked at it and like for him, like as an individual, it like helped him all across the board, HRV, resting heart rate, you know, wake duration, all these different things. And it actually, he was doing like another like mini study with us, like in flow state and actually finding that taking the CBD and having it improve, like, you know, his like REM sleep over the course of a longer period of time actually helped him to focus more on things like that. So like, 
from an individual basis, we've seen interesting things. And obviously from um, the research studies, there's like obviously research on how like marijuana and smoking, that's um, affects sleep. Yeah, no, I mean, the, uh, the effects are so varying. And Cal uh, uh, Turley was one of my former teammates. Uh, he's real big into the cannabis deal. And he's always talked to me about these different strains that have different effects. Uh, I just know purely anecdotally, um, there are certain people that smoke and it's like hitting them in the head with a hammer and they go right to sleep. Other people become highly motivated. And uh, I used to know a girl who like, that was what she did. She would uh, smoke, she'd go out, she'd, she'd work out. She was a law student and like, she was like, if I don't, I kind of sit at home, I'm lazy. This actually motivates me to go out and do stuff. So what's so amazing is the cannabinoid system is so uh, interesting in that it affects people in such different ways, which is you know probably similar to opiates and everything else. And I think the, the good point behind that is that as the stigma becomes reduced in this, that uh, you'll be able to have better insights, better what better research, and maybe research that was sort of pushed aside from the past because it, it was you know like downplayed because of what it was being researched on. Uh, I think you you get to see a lot. I mean, obviously we, we just talked about uh, in terms of pain and, and that kind of stuff, but you know between sleep and then all the other things that could come from it, it's actually a really exciting time for that. And I think if if you can shake old stigma when this is just true of all things like this and just really focus on, on the benefits and some of the stuff that Josh and you have spoken on. I think that that is a really big window for opportunity for, for health and, 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 and things like that in general, but for this conversation, particularly what it could mean individually prescribed for sleep for people. Yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, it's a pretty amazing deal. I, I listened to a podcast uh, Jordan Peterson did recently where he talked about, uh, you know, alcohol has, uh, you know, being legal is a complete fucking travesty. He's like, if you remove alcohol from the, from the equation, like domestic violence and like a lot of these, you know, problems you see within the home just kind of evaporate. And I always remember there was a, I can't remember if it was Bill Maher with the comic made a funny point where he's like, you know, uh, uh, there's a lot of kids that have stories about, you know, parents coming home drinking and getting their ass beat. He's like, no kid uh, has that for a dad that smokes weed. If anything, he came home and ate his, his box of cereal and probably watched cartoons with him and had a magic, or maybe it was Rogan that said that, but it's just such an interesting uh, you know, like the stigma of these things, whether it be, you know, drinking or marijuana or sleep or whatever. Um, there's such a stigma associated with this. Like we're talking about, like, you know, if you sleep, you're lazy. And now here we are, you know, all these years later where it's like, Hey, sleep's a performance enhancing drug if you use it properly. And, uh, you know, and now we have all this information and this data to look at, to kind of constantly prove it. And, um, I guess it's just more, um, and you, you, you brought up a great point as professional athletes, I'm sure, man, there's so many things in your, in your lab, in your training room modalities. I'm sure people are just sending equipment and you're looking at this and you're like, what's the low hanging fruit? What's the you know, greatest return for the minimal investment? I mean, the amount of people that pitch me, like everything from like uh, sleep tanks to, you know, I mean, we just had a gal on that did, uh, you know, uh, infrared saunas and like, um, uh, you know, coil waves. I mean, it's just like, there's so much happening in terms of this performance space. I wonder how do you navigate it? Or is it just like, find what somebody's into, find the low hanging fruit. We're going to go with that. And if they got extra time, let's start looking at more and more stuff. Yeah, I think that's the base, the best, the best sort of base plan is how you just outlined it. And then I think to the, the bigger point of this discussion is that the, there are sort of general rules that sort of fit all of us as human beings, athletes or not. <clears throat> but then I also think that there is a uniqueness that comes with being human. And so if you can use what you just said as sort of the baseline, but then experiment slightly, you'll end up creating, a, you know, your own quote unquote stack for what works very well individually for you. 
And that may also be circumstantial and change depending on environment and time and age and some other factors that may come up. But I think you, you, you have to hit the low hanging fruit. You've got to hit things that you know you can control in your environment, either me prescribing as a coach or you just as a, a conscientious person trying to improve something. And I would say this is true of everything. And then just with, with smart experimentation and exposure to new things, be able to say, actually, when I do this, I feel better or I can quantify it through uh, a wearable or through something like Crescent Health and get feedback um, and say that these four things are actually the most powerful four things for my sleep or for my performance or for my whatever your thing is. And, and again, that becomes your individual stack. And so for, in terms of your question for my job, it's the same thing. It's okay, what are the basic things that we need to all do as a group, coaching and, and, and obviously players? And then from that, start to pass it out into, okay, but for these two guys, we can drop this and add this, you know, and that actually is better for them, for that, again, for whatever it might be. Um, and that I think is where the magic really starts to happen because I think you, you, you want to make sure that you have general rules because that's sort of what keeps it simple, what makes the world go round and gives people an opportunity to be successful. But where the magic happens is when you can really kind of individualize it as much as possible to people to fit their biology, their circumstance, their whatever it might be. That's when it's really, really cool. And I think because of the, the, the more research, the more intelligence we have, the better technology, the advance, advances in technology, who knows where this is going to go? You know what I mean? And it probably may go too far, but we need to bring it back a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I think the individualization of what you can and cannot do as a description for things, in this case, sleep, I think is, is, is really where this should go. Because I think most of us um, are now having the opportunity to do it because things are cheaper, things are more available. Um, so yeah, get your big rocks in place, uh, which again, are some of the things that we've talked about and nutrition and sleep and hydration and, and things within those, and then experiment on the outside with them and pull those into your rocks as you go along. And I think you, you, you'll build a very successful, um, again, personal stack of, of things that you need to do. Uh, I always love whenever we do podcasts, especially with experts like yourself, like what's one thing that everybody listening to this podcast could go and implement today, tonight, going to sleep to improve the quality of their sleep. Is it hydration? Is it a specific time? I'm just wondering like, what's one like easy takeaway that everybody, you know, the, the tens of people, including our parents that are listening to this wonderful podcast, Power Athlete Radio, uh, could do to, in the terms of that takeaway. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let Josh give you his answer too. Um, but I would say the, the boring answer is going to be go to sleep at the same time every night for a week and see you feel. So start with that. And I think I'm going to go with that because there's other things, again, like I talked about temperature and environment and that kind of stuff and, and all of which are important. But sometimes you can't always control that. Um, you, you know, maybe you're a college student or maybe you're on the road or you've got meetings or, you know, Josh is this, you know, world-class entrepreneur and he has the phone call from some crazy country and he just has to deal with it, right? But I do think um, you can schedule going to bed at the same time is something that you can't control. Sometimes waking up can be tricky to my point about Josh and his emails and so on, but you can control that. So I would say the one thing that you can do as boring as it sounds is, is, is pick a time that, that sort of fits kind of where you're at, or maybe some of the data you've collected through or has kind of shown and stick with it for a week and try and develop that as a habit. So I don't know, that's my, that's my number one, Josh. I don't know if you've got something different on that. Yeah, I would say, you know, one thing that, you know, I do and we've seen work for a lot of people is actually taking a couple minutes to journal, um, writing down things that you're grateful for or writing down things that almost like a brain dump 
And, you know, for a lot of people that helps them to de-stress and relax at night, helps them to honestly just wake up like feeling better. And, you know, we see it time and time again with people. They're just like, oh my gosh, I didn't know journaling could be this good. Like, oh my gosh, like I feel like I feel pretty good when I go to sleep. I feel less stressed out. And just like that simple change of just taking three minutes either to say like, hey, I'm grateful for these three things like in my life and like, or just saying like, hey, these are all the things that I'm, that's on my mind and then going to sleep. I think we've seen for a lot of people like works phenomenally. So I think that's like one small thing people can do that can have a really like awesome impact on their sleep and sleep quality. All right. One final question, Dan, this is directed to you. Have you seen the show Ted Lasso? <laughs> you know, it's funny. For some reason I haven't uh, just because Me of either. life and circumstance, but everybody, everybody for reasons of professional sports and being British and coaching, everybody tells me, including my, my new boss, who's a big fan of this and I have to watch it. So you, I will take your recommendation, and I will, I will watch it. Uh, I haven't seen it either, so well, I've put it off until I recently had a flight, and then you know, scrolling through, and it's there. Was it good? That's why I'm bringing it up. Oh, I wouldn't otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, on the road this year. Yeah, take a gander, man. It's basically, the plot is essentially it's like Major League. The owner of a football club, soccer, wants to bring it down, and then she hires a American football coach to come coach a soccer team a football club nice but you know he overwhelms them with his positive and amazing coaching ability and then i've i've been i'm four episodes in so by the time this comes out i'll probably be done okay yeah it's funny because when you explain the premise you just kind of go but everybody has told me like it's just it's top top notch stuff so yeah feel good story american goes to britain and basically finally writes all their wrongs. Ah, nice. I like it. <laughs> oh, cool. Awesome, guys. We uh, we did it. Now we can get some sleep. Yeah. It's been a... It's been a <laughs> well, all, all this talking about sleep actually uh, makes me tired. I feel like I'm, I'm going to go chug some coffee and take a nap. Sounds coffee good. Coffee nap. Awesome. Yeah. Well, guys, thanks for uh, for coming on Power Athlete Radio. Really appreciate it. And uh, if you guys have any questions, what's the best way to reach out and find some information and more importantly, how to connect with you guys? Yeah, of course. You can find us, you know, crescent.co. Um, you can follow, you know, myself, Joshua T. Collin on Twitter, and you can follow me on LinkedIn as well. Um, and follow us, Crescent Health as well, on, on socials. Um, so, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, you heard it here first. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Going back, I'm a loaded freight train, and I'm right on track. I'm now it's time for you to empower your performance. To learn more about Josh and Dr. Dan's work, head to BioLoopSleep.com. Until next time, bye!